that's a pretty that's a pretty good big come on right George let's get on with it right it's all good so the Bible is a history book that tells us a story it tells us the story that God wants us to understand why he made us and where we're going and I just want us to really quite briefly run through that story look over in Acts 17 this will this is where we'll start Acts 17 now you might wonder why I'm going to start the story near the end of the book But I'm going to use some of the verses later in the book that summarize to tell the story, because that makes it a lot easier. So in Acts 17, we'll just start reading in verse 24. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Now Paul is taking a stab right here against human religion. Because human religion is often thought about in terms of ritual and holy places that people have created. And what Paul is saying is, the true God doesn't live in some temple. The true God doesn't need a temple to exist. And believe it or not, doesn't even need us to worship Him to exist. He doesn't exist because we believe He exists. He exists as a fact. And whether we believe that or not, that's up to us. That's our decision. Though, of course, when he comes back again, fully revealed, that'll remove even that decision. You will believe when you see him coming back. But what it says here in verse 26, From one man God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. Have you ever found a long-lost relative? Has ever happened in life? You know, every once in a while you, you like discover somebody that, and then it turns out they don't live very far from you. Well, I want you to look around. Just really look around. Look around this whole room. Do you see anybody here you don't know? Who sees someone here they don't know very well, or don't know at all even, okay? Okay, you know that you're related? You just found a lost relative. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? I mean, it says here that from one man, God created all the nations. And it's funny because we seem to, as a human race, focus so much on the differences, we forget to really understand just how much we are the same. But it says here that God created Adam and Eve. We, we, we know that from the early part of the scripture, he created Adam and Eve and then through them brought into being all the other people we see. Every one of us have a common ancestor. And it goes back to the children of Noah, but then it goes even back further to Adam and Eve. So, you know what? We're related. We got more relatives. Boy, just think if you had to buy Christmas presents for everybody you're related to you know but we think about this more in terms of close relatives but from God's point of view he sees men and women created in his image for a singular purpose to find him that's what he wants and he uses this word find because as Andrew was saying it requires faith he just didn't come out and show himself and remove all of our faith He's given us a chance to believe, and that's how God has chosen to make the world. 
But God has a plan for all nations. Now, when you think about Adam and Eve being alone in the Garden of Eden, does that seem like that'd be very hard for God to keep up with? You know, just two people, right? You know, you don't even need uh, your sat-nav, you know, or whatever. You don't even... I have a, an app on my phone. It's called Find Your Friends. And they, they, you, you can only really find your friends because your friends have to give you enough data that you can put their data in, that you can find them. I could call mine Find My Wife, and she could call hers Find Your Husband. It's just good to know where she is, especially when she's on her bicycle. But, you know, God doesn't need any tools. And when Adam and Eve are on the ground, they are in one place called the Garden of Eden... You know, that wasn't pretty hard. That wasn't hard to take care of. We could even keep up with that. But you know, for God, eight billion people isn't any more difficult than two. That's how capable He is. And He is equally concerned about each one of us as He was about Adam and Eve, which is really amazing. You know, let's just now dip back to Genesis. We're just going to do a very quick survey. Very quick. Genesis 1, starting at verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the whole earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You know, God created us in His image because He gave us free will. And it's not that animals at some level don't make some kinds of decisions. Like our dog, for example, what he's going to chew on first. I mean, there are decisions that you have to make, even if you're a dog. But what we, we make decisions about control about planning. It says here that he was going, God said, I'm going to give you dominion over the world. And isn't that what mankind's been trying to do ever since? Kind of take control? But see, as we take control, it shows our hearts. As we take control of money, do we think about ourselves or do we think about what others need? As we take control of our time, who are we thinking of? And see, the problem in our world, and the newspapers are full of it, and history's full of it, is people want dominion, but they want dominion at the cost of someone else. And where they could be sharing and helping others, they're just thinking about themselves. We haven't done a very good job of dominion. Let's turn over to Genesis 6. told you this would be quick. Genesis 6, and in verse 5. And this is what was happening just before the flood. This is, in fact, what brought the flood on. Genesis 6, verse 5, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the heart, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground, and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, you know, we've just talked about God created us to have a relationship with us, and then He gave us the ability to take dominion, to exercise our will. But what happened to the world? God's looking out of the world and it says he was grieved. 
Now, what's tough about this is God knew he would be grieved. God knew how the story would go even before he made us. But because of his end game, which was to bring a saved nation, a saved group of people to heaven, God was willing to even be grieved and go through this pain. And this story is then the story of Noah. And Noah is basically the story of a righteous man who did what God wanted, and God destroyed the earth, but Noah and his family were spared. They were saved. You know, my wife and I went to a very fun movie last night. I definitely recommend it. I can't do that with most movies, but it's called Tomorrowland. And uh, and I guess see this movie, but it's all about the end of the world, basically. The world's going to end. And I'll try not to give it too much away to anybody who's going to see it, but you'll catch on to uh, the basic plots and subplots. But, But what's interesting is these people that knew the future, they'd figured out how to tell the future, They thought, oh, if we tell everybody that the world's going to end, they'll actually try to do something about it. But so they they made it really clear. The world's going to destroy itself. And you know what everyone did? They went out to see how much money they could make on it. Well, if the world's going to get destroyed, then who cares? Their plan, let's tell the truth. And the whole thing backfired. Isn't that sad? And I was kind of thinking, it's very insightful. Because sometimes when we tell people the bad news, they just go, well, that's so bad, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to make an effort to understand anymore. And it's kind of sad so easily how we can give up. But you know, God sent a flood as a warning. And after the flood, a rainbow appeared and God said, whenever you see the rainbow, know this, I'll never send a flood again. And guess what? There's never been a global flood like that again. But only a few people survived. And it's a lesson for us. Look over in Genesis 11. Genesis 11. A very interesting story about the Tower of Babel. And you're going to see all this kind of ties in. But if we just read in verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Now, it's very interesting. Everyone spoke the same language. Was that not just amazing to listen to all the different languages that we heard today? And wasn't it amazing that one person spoke and that another person understood them? I think it's pretty impressive, right? I mean, did you have any idea what Nikki was saying? Honestly? Really? Only Attila's going like, yeah, yeah, that's my love language right there. You know? But the rest of us are going, what is that? Okay? And you know, languages were coming from all over the world. There was a time when everyone spoke the same language. It's interesting, I don't know if they do this anymore, but when I studied linguistics in university, in the first year textbook of linguistics at the university, secular university I studied at, It said, where did all the human languages come from? It was a question. And what this author put was, to be honest, though I'm not a Bible person, he goes, to be honest, the most understandable answer is the Tower of Babel. Because it doesn't make sense. Because all anthropologists actually believe that the human race did come from one place and did come from one people. 
then how did all these languages? Languages do evolve, but not the way we see language in the world today. They are really confused. And so this author of this secular textbook said, to be honest, the Tower of Babel is the best explanation. Of course, I use that as a little introduction to some sharing I did with some of the people in my class. But the truth is, I don't know if that's still in that textbook, but Introduction to Linguistics by Fromm, F-R-O-M-M, said this very statement, this is the best explanation. Languages change, but not the way the human language is, say, 3,000 years ago, what you could see in all the diversity. It can't be explained that way. So, So what do we see here in this story? Well, these people said to each other, you think they would have learned from the flood, but they didn't, right? They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, God had commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He only gave them one command. Go fill the earth. How hard is that? No, we're not going to do that. We're going to build a tower and we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to reach to the heavens. Oh yeah, we've heard there's a God up there, but we can be gods too. Sound familiar? Human pride is absolutely amazing. Verse 5, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. You know, what do we say when someone's babbling? They're just speaking nonsense. You don't understand a word of what they're saying. Stop babbling. I don't get it. You know, that comes right from here. Everything got confused and the unity was completely broken. It was a miracle of God that divided them and made them spread out into, whole, into the whole world. So that's going to play a little bit into what happens on the day of Pentecost. Just keep turning over to uh, Genesis chapter 12. So it's been established. There's many nations. There's many languages. People are spreading out all over the world. But see, now God just chooses one person. And he chose this person for a special purpose to create through that person, first of all, a covenant of faith, but then secondly, to raise up through him nations. And one nation in particular to teach us so we could understand things about having a relationship with God. So read what we read together, Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Said so the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, Abram had a wife, but no children. I'm going to make you, I'm not just going to give you a family. I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to bless you. Your name will be great. You know, spiritually speaking, Christians speak of Abraham as their father. The Muslims 
claim Abraham as their father because they're descendants of Ishmael, one of Abraham's sons. That's like half the world today claims some kind of connection back to Abraham. This was written thousands of years ago. And he's saying, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And then he says, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Jesus would come as a descendant of Abraham. And through Jesus, all the earth would be blessed. Well, now we're going to go to the New Testament for one of those summary verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, between the verse we were just in in Genesis and almost all the way to Corinthians, that's a lot of pages, right? I want to read a verse that just sums it up. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11. It says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. You know, Paul wrote this. He was one of the messengers of Jesus, one of the apostles. He wrote this because God's plan for man was made clear in Jesus Christ. And so all the history before was simply meant for us to learn, to understand, in some way looking forward to what would happen. And faith in God has always been considered by God awesome. Like, those that live by faith will be saved. That is God's promise. But what's interesting is they also lived out these real-life stories from which we can learn so much. Covenants and promises, teaching about inheritance. We read all about that in the story of Abraham and then his descendants. Slavery in Egypt, we understand to be parallel to our slavery and sin. Deliverance from Egypt, we understand to be our deliverance from our bondage to sin. Wandering in the desert like the Israelites did. That just sort of describes our day-to-day life between being baptized and getting to heaven. The giving of the law, setting up of the priesthood, sacrificial system. All these things were given so we could understand the purpose of Christ even more. They entered the promised land. That's like heaven. The appointment of kings. That's prefiguring Jesus. And then we have the cycle of Israel being faithful and unfaithful, but God continually being faithful. Isn't that encouraging? Can you relate to that a little? Isn't it good to know that God is gracious and long-suffering and merciful? It encourages us. But see, after many cycles of that, Israel got taken into captivity. Again, a reminder that we can't control the outcome of our lives. And then what it says is a remnant came back. John the Baptist turned up, preparing the way for Jesus. And throughout all of these scriptures, we have constant prophecies about something amazing going to happen. We're just going to choose one out of hundreds. Look over in Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Here is one prophecy. Isaiah lived 750 years before Christ. Look what he wrote. Isaiah 2, and we'll pick it up in verse 2. It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills, and all nations will stream into it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. 
He will teach us His ways so that we, we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will take up sword against na- nation, not take up sword against nation. Sorry, nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That sounds pretty idealistic and pretty awesome, right? But this prophecy, more than 750 years before the day of Pentecost that we read about in the introduction, this prophecy says something amazing is going to happen in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was built on the mountain of the Lord. And it says that a message is going to go out and that God is going to teach His ways to the people. And He will judge between the nations and even bring peace. And so we see this amazing promise. Now we go over to Acts 2. Acts 2. Curse, we can go to the next slide, thanks. Acts 2. And we'll just, uh, we just had read to us in the introduction, uh, the first part of this chapter, what happened. Jesus had, has now died, been raised from the dead. He's appeared to his apostles. He's gone up into heaven, and they're waiting. They're waiting for the Spirit of Christ to be poured out on them so they can go and share the good news. It's the beginning of the church. And so let's just pick this up where, where uh, Sybil left off. It says that people heard them speaking their own languages. It's a, it was an amazing miracle. Without ever having studied, the apostles were actually able to speak languages they did not know. That would be awesome. You ever been on holiday in a, in a country where they don't speak your language? Wouldn't the gift of tongues have come in handy? Sometimes just walking down the streets of Birmingham, the gift of tongues would come in handy. You know, this is a pretty amazing gift. But think about it. When God confused all the languages, what was He doing? He was interrupting the plan of man that was without God in it for them to become great and them to become one people. And so God confused the languages, but now He, in fact, gave a sign that He wanted all nations to come together and be one people. And when the Spirit of Jesus was poured out, one of the signs of it being poured out was people speaking in languages that they had never studied. And so we'll pick it up in verse 14. Then Peter stood up at the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not, not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How does that sound for good news? You want to be saved from your guilt, from your sin? You want to have an eternal relationship with God? It's all going to be available through Jesus Christ. And so, the Tower of Babel happened, men were divided, nations took on their identities, but now God has chosen 
for people to come back together and be united. And he hasn't given us all the gift of tongues so that we can talk to each other. That hasn't been his strategy. His strategy has been to give us his spirit, a spirit of love, a spirit of understanding, that we can be united because of what's in our hearts, because of a covenant of love. Now we know that the world hasn't totally embraced this message, right? When you open up the uh, newspaper, do you see world peace? No, I mean, we don't even have Birmingham peace. How can we have world peace? You know, in some places, just never seem to have peace. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting just talking about even the war in Israel. Do you know, uh, the war is between Israel and Palestine. Do you remember David and Goliath? What nationality was Goliath? He was a Philistine. Palestine is simply the modern form of the word Philistine. Palestine, Philistine. One thousand years before Christ, David and Goliath are fighting. Three thousand years later, it's still going. Pretty crazy, isn't it? But see, the truth is, through the gospel of Jesus, there is a peace. There is a surrender. Now sadly... 2,000 years after Jesus, when we talk about church history, most people don't remember the peace. Because after a few hundred years, certain politicians and others started to realize there's a power in Christianity, and Christianity started to be distorted into cultural religions. And so that the church began to divide because of language. And so we have in the, in the, by the fourth century already divisions in the church, and these divisions became very se- severe over the centuries, till the, the nations had divided what we call Christianity. But not true Christianity, because true Christianity's in the heart. See, there's a message, and it needs to go out to, today. It needs to go out again. It clearly hasn't reached the whole world. This message hasn't borne the fruit that God wanted it to bear. For all peoples to know Him. Remember where we began? From one person God made all the nations of men. And He did this. He set the times and the places where we should live because He wants us to find Him. I appreciate what Ricky was sharing. Sometimes God finds us by using someone else. And sometimes God finds others by using us. You know, if we look a little further in uh, Acts chapter 2, just read starting in verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. See, what an amazing message we have in Christianity. World religions are all about trying to make some kind of sacrifice from our side to make God happy. It's about trying to appease God. In fact, the definition you'll find, like in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary... 
It says is, and this is the definition of sacrifice. The worshiper offers something to a divinity in order to establish, maintain, or restore a right relationship to that divinity. In other words, the whole purpose of human religion is for us to do something to make that God out there happy. And we call that sacrifice. You know what Christianity says? God offered His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. And how did He say it here? Jesus was handed over to you. We are the ones that actually offered Him. Now literally, a team of five Roman soldiers put Him to death. But here He's even saying, Jesus was handed over to you. And by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, with the help of wicked men, you put Him to death by nailing Him to the cross. See, what the Old Testament teaches us about sacrifice is an animal is chosen to be offered, an innocent animal, but you choose it and you kill it. You take responsibility for it. That's what the message is. Jesus died for us, but we have to accept He died for us. We have to accept our sin, put Him on the cross. And that may sound like bad news, but guess what? Death couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead. It's good news. Now, it's not good news because of us. It's good news because of God. And see, God raised Jesus from the dead, and that sacrifice forgives us of our sins. Jesus died so that we might live. The one who forgives is the one who makes the sacrifice. Some of us harbor things in our hearts because we're not willing to forgive. And we're the ones holding on to it. And to forgive, we have to give it up. For God to forgive, He had to give something up. His right to justice. And so the Son of God, innocent, guiltless, died on a cross for us so that we could believe the message of God. He's willing to forgive and able to. You know, if we go to the next slide, this was Time Magazine. I just got this yesterday in the post. Lost in the world. Of course, it's got America's in the middle. And then it says, how the next U.S. president can fix America's failing foreign policy. Good luck with that. That's all I can say. Uh, Let's pray, okay, for, for whoever's next. But you know, the truth is, go to the next slide, Curtis. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, okay? There's no political solution for what's wrong with the world because what's wrong with the world is sin. And what what divides nations and divides communities and divides people and even families is sin. Jesus died so that sin could be removed, so that guilt could be released, and so in fact we could become one nation. But this nation isn't political. And the moment Christians try to become political, it never goes very well. Our our power isn't political. It's a power of faith in doing what is right before God. I just want to close because this is an international service and we've been given an international charge by Jesus. Look over Matthew 28, verse 18. Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. this is what it says. Then Jesus said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. See, evangelizing the world isn't a political game. It's not motivated by somebody wanting to have power over somebody else. It's about the message of Jesus. And there's only one way to be saved. And that is to believe in what God has done. And to accept the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus has sent us out. Now you can go out into all nations and not even leave Birmingham. You just have to go out of your door. Okay? You might just be able to go next door. And already have another nation. But we've been given this command. So that we can actually take this good news. And see the world changed. When God looks at us, He sees us just as people made in His image. And as was stated earlier, it's our faith that God is looking at. But that faith has to be in His sacrifice. That faith isn't in ourselves or in our power. That faith is in the message of truth. That we have a God that loves us so much, He was willing to come in the flesh and offer Himself. You know, I, I had this conversation, I shared this a couple weeks ago too, but it just rings in my mind. I was talking to this Muslim on the street, and he goes, I just can't believe that God would ever become a person and be in the flesh. It doesn't make any sense. Why would God do that? And I said, it's just a statement of his love. So we know, and it's, he just, God wouldn't do that. See, we have a God who sacrifices. And that's our message. We have a God who actually would never even ask us to do something He's not willing to do Himself. What kind of power is that? Most people in power make demands of others they don't make of themselves. God shows His love by actually showing us how to live as followers of Jesus. And so Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. We're going to have a time uh, after our service just to enjoy some food together. And I know for the Americans that means hot dogs over at our stand. But uh, anyway, uh, it will be... uh, Should I explain? Yeah. Let me just uh, say where the different groups will be meeting. Okay. Right down at the first floor of this building or bottom floor of this building, we have what we call the tuck shop. And uh, we'll have the Edmondson's family group, Oldbury, Wolverhampton, Warsaw, and West Bromwich, Walsall, sorry, <laughs> Walsall, okay, that's like, a, I need a foreign language just to do that one, hey, I was very comforted, they took Rebecca into the uh, emergency in Belfast, and when she said where she was from, they said Poland, so I'm not the only one, okay, <laughs> that's her story, okay, the South Birmingham family groups, uh, we're going to be meet the students, that's Acox Green and Hall Green, uh, Woolly Castle, Selly Oak. We're going to be meeting in the foyer of the main building. So we have to go outside, out into the parking lot and to our left. And uh, we'll be in the foyer area. And uh, then there's a bistro in the sixth form. And that's going to be the Erdington, Great Bar, Hampstead and Sutton Coalfield groups. We'll be meeting there. And it's just that, it's not that we're dividing because we don't love each other. It's simply, and I know everybody wants to be with Sybil, where she's been cooking. But let me tell you, there are other great, great cooks in the room as well. 
And uh, we're just going to be dividing up then and uh, having a time of fellowship and food. So let's pray for the food at this time. And then also just uh, pray as the worship team comes and takes their places. Our Father and God, we are so grateful for everything you have done for us. And Father, help us to see the world the way you do. That we are all the offspring of just one couple. That Father, we have the same purpose and we have the same value before you. And Father, often I think we're aware of our own value, but we don't value others around us. And Father, I pray that we can see that before you, everyone is of equal value. And your opinion, your thoughts are the ones that matter the most. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for everything you did throughout history to prepare the world for his message. Thank you for the truth that we know just by opening up the scriptures. Thank you that we can see the beginning of of the human story. And also, Father, we see the ending or at least the transition. We see, Father, your plan for us beyond this world. And I really pray that we can believe in that more and more, that we can focus our hearts on that and understand that even as we go through trials and difficulties, heaven awaits, Father, and that's your plan. But Father, thank you also for the tastes of heaven that we get uh, in moments here on earth. I think of moments in family and in friendship where we really do taste just the, the depth of love and, and, and contentment that can be possible. And even in things like a good rest or even a good meal. Father, we just thank you for these things, which also are tastes of things yet to come. But Father, help us to, to understand that you have made this world, yes, for us to enjoy, but but most of all for us to find you. And I pray that those of us that have found you will even seek you more to have a deeper and deeper relationship with you. Father, bless our time together. Thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.